Friends, I'm Maria Peña, here with another episode of Voices for Change, where each week I will introduce you to people that are doing their part to enrich and empower the Hispanic community. Later on, I'll tell you how you can help make our podcast better, because it is, after all, a program meant to inspire everyone who wants to contribute to change in their communities. Healthcare and the economy are by far the top issues driving voters to the polls this year. According to the American Cancer Society, breast cancer is the leading cause of cancer death among Hispanic women. Yet they're less likely to get diagnosed at an early stage, and they face so many other barriers to quality health care. Adela de la Torre is a breast cancer patient, and she's using her experience to remind voters that health care is a human right. In fact, she says, this election is a life and death issue for millions of Americans. Listen to her inspirational story and heed her call to go out and vote. Just uh, on the eve of Election Day, uh, we're hoping that you all um, have gotten a chance to go out and vote. Um, and if you haven't done so, do so, because this is an important election. And it sometimes it can also be a matter of life and death. And here with us today, we have Adela de la Torre. She is a longtime activist uh, within the immigrant uh, rights movement. And um, she has an important message for us. Good morning, Adela. Good morning, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. So, Adela, walk us through what you've been able to experience in this really unprecedented presidential race. I uh, I wanted to start by echoing your your call that, that if folks have not yet made a plan to go out and vote, to, to make sure to do it. Um, as, as a lot of you have heard, people are calling the 2020 election a matter of life and death. And I think for a lot of people, they hear that and they think, oh, that's, you know, hyperbole, right? Mm -hmm. In in my case, I, I believe it to be absolutely true. Um, in October of 2019, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer, mm -hmm. um, I have undergone chemotherapy, and let me tell you, going through chemotherapy in the middle of a pandemic is not easy. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think... Well, what specific and, challenges did you have? Oh, well, I mean, I think that, I think there are, there are a lot of things that people don't necessarily understand about chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's something, obviously, that affects you, the patient, right, because... You are immunocompromised. Your white blood cell count is very low, and so even a cold, for example, I caught a cold from my from my uh, then four year old son in January, and it sent me to the hospital mm -hmm. um, because my white blood count, cell count went down to one. Mm -hmm. And so you are incredibly vulnerable to those around you. But I think one of the things that I learned through chemotherapy, which is also a lesson that we're learning through the pandemic is just how interdependent we all are. Mm -hmm. And so when I when I think about this election and everything that we as a country have gone through, I really hope that folks are able to come away with an understanding that none of us can can get through this alone. We all need to draw upon the strength 
of each other, of our neighbors, mm-hmm. of our community members, of our family members. And when we go in to vote, my hope is that I can use my experience um, going through something very difficult that, that, you know, frankly, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm under 40. I have a four year old. I I'm a, I'm a working mother. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can share a little bit about my own experience so that folks who maybe think that a cancer is something that doesn't happen to them mm-hmm. um, or B that they're, they're healthy and they don't need to worry about something like COVID. I, I'm hoping that by sharing my story, they can realize that a, the line between health and sickness is very, very thin. Exactly. You don't know. Exactly. And you know, Adela, as you've seen, uh, most uh, n- nationwide polling show that the the number one concern that is driving voters to the polls is healthcare, followed by um, the economic recession that we're in. And you know, it shouldn't surprise many people, uh, given how many people we have lost to the pandemic. Um, tell us a little bit about how those two issues um, have affected you uh, personally. Sure. So, I mean, I think I think it's absolutely right that that healthcare remains a top issue for for voters. Um, all through my through my career, as you know, Maria, through my career uh, at the National Migration Law Center, and since um, National Migration Law Center is a strong advocate for for robust healthcare protections for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of us, regardless of where we were born, our immigration status, or how much money we have, and. Um, I I continue to believe that in my core. I mm-hmm. think healthcare is a human right, mm-hmm. and as we've seen with the pandemic, pandemics don't care <laughs> about your immigration status or uh, you know your ability to pay. Right, and we we all need to be able to access the tools that help us stay healthy if we're going to be healthy as a society. Mm-hmm. And and so I I and as you as your listeners may already know, you're in the middle of a pandemic and yet the Trump administration is attempting to strip away the protections that we have gained through the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. One, my, as an aside, my next chemotherapy session will happen on the day that the Trump administration will be at the Supreme Court arguing to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. That's on, November, on November 12th, right? November tenth, I think. Or tenth, yes. Double check. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and then it's going to be hearing the case, uh, which will determine the fate of Obamacare, uh, with the new conservative judge installed, Amy Coney uh, Barrett, who was non-committal about her views on Obamacare. So this is worrying a lot of people. And it should. And it should. We need the Affordable Care Act is not the be-all, end-all, but it has it has made really important gains for tens of millions of people. Mm-hmm. For 25-year-olds who are on their parents and 26-year-olds who are on their parents' healthcare plans. For people like me who, you know, I, who are cancer patients and, and, and hopefully cancer survivors to, to be able to be guaranteed health insurance, mm-hmm. regardless of our pre-existing conditions. All of those protections were hard fought and hard won, 
And I believe that the outcome of the election on Tuesday will determine whether we as a country can build upon that promise Mm -hmm. of a healthy, thriving nation or dismantle it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Adela, President Trump has said that, you know, he's once again repeating his promise from 2016 that we that he wants to repeal and replace Obamacare. And yet we saw the we saw the fighting, the political infighting on the Hill. Uh, Congress rejected his plan several times. And so they were not able to repeal it through the, the uh, through the legislative process. And here we are again with another promise that he will give us, he will give the American voters a much better plan. Why should you believe him? I don't think you should believe uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, as, as my as my mother and, and grandmother say, you know, dime con quien andas y te quien eres, right? Exactly. So, you know, and, and Donald Trump has surrounded himself time and time again with people who are perhaps telling him things that, that he would like to hear, but who don't have, I believe, who don't have the health of the nation at top of mind. And I, I, I think we don't have to look any farther than, than the abysmal performance that the Trump administration has done in keeping us from suffering the worst mm-hmm. effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. My understanding. I've lost count already uh, because it seems like now we're going through another wave of uh, of this coronavirus. But some two hundred and thirty thousand people have already died from the pandemic. Now he's promising that we're going to have a vaccine and possibly a cure, and that things will be better. He even, you know, he's using his personal example because he. Um, contracted the the disease and survived it. Um, but yet again, you know, most people are not getting the kind of medical care that he got. I think it's important to not forget those 230,000 people, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who did not need to die. Mm-hmm. And millions more who are suffering serious consequences. Mm-hmm. I know people in my, in members of my, of my community mm-hmm. who, who, who suffered quote unquote mild cases and are still experiencing days when going up the stairs mm-hmm. is all they can do. Exactly. So I, I, I think I, we're, we're all ha- going to have to go through a serious healing process. Mm-hmm. And there are, in fact, I would argue, millions of people who are suffering needlessly because the Trump administration failed in its most basic responsibility mm-hmm. of keeping this country safe. Mm-hmm. And Adela, I'm glad that you brought that up because I wanted you to take uh, to give us your take as an immigration rights activist, an immigrant rights activist, the fact that we have stark differences between uh, President Trump and, uh, you know, former Vice President Joe Biden in terms of their proposals to deal with illegal immigration and what to do with those that are already here. Tell us, tell us what's at stake now and what are advocacy groups doing to prepare for that battle? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I I think there are obviously stark policy differences between the two, um, and I think there are a lot of people, including uh, one of your prior guests, who, who who can speak really eloquently to to the to the differences, and chief among them that Joe Biden has all has promised um, to actually engage in changes to our immigration system that would acknowledge both our, our country's societal and, and economic needs and recognizes undocumented immigrants as as an essential and vibrant part of this country, right? But I think more importantly than that is, is in fact, the, the attitude surrounding not just immigrants who are here without authorization, um, but the 40 million immigrants living here day to day, right? You're looking at, when, when you, uh, Joe Biden often talks about this, um, this election is a battle for the soul, a battle for the soul of the nation. Mm-hmm. And when you look at how the Trump administration, not just for the, uh, you know, not just for the Latinx community, like I'm a member of, but it, at every turn, when faced with a choice between unifying and dividing, the Trump administration has chosen to divide, right? Mm-hmm. We, we see that with the just incredible increase in anti-Asian racism because the Trump administration chose to pursue xenophobia to deflect from its own poor performance on, on COVID-19. And furthermore, I mean, I think just to tie it back to policy choices in healthcare, I mean, one of the, one of the things that we've learned from the Trump administration over the past four years is that their legislating style is based on cruelty, right? We're talking about an administration that didn't didn't go through Congress, right? They mm-hmm. used a lot of backdoor channels of regulations and executive orders to do things like getting rid of or, or dismantling our current public charge infrastructure, right? The infrastructure that mm-hmm. that allows immigrants to to access things like things like healthcare and other basic necessities, they they have chosen to continue to terrify immigrants and, and chill their access to those life-saving programs even in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So when you think about the level of cruelty and when you think about really valorizing, terrorizing immigrants over our nation's mm-hmm. public health system, mm-hmm. to me it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty stark message. But you know, President Trump, when you hear him at his rallies with his base, the the justification he uses is that he's putting America first. What's wrong with that premise? I mean, I think I think there's an my immediate question when 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 I hear things like that is which Americans, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Certainly not the 40 million immigrants who have made this country their home and are contributing to communities every day. Certainly not, you know, families like my own who have been here for decades and, you know, are being are being victimized by racist insults um, and asked, you know, certainly not the millions more Asian Americans who have reported thousands of hate incidents 
as a result of the Trump administration's xenophobic attacks since March. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Adela, your mom is Mexican and your dad is Dominican. That's my understanding. And you were born here. Uh, what led you down this path of activism? You know, you could have chosen any other career and you chose the path which has been hard because like we said earlier, you know, immigration reform has eluded this country for decades. How did you end up in this, in, in the immigration rights um, activism? Oh, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, so I, I guess I would say the reason that I'm in this, that I, the reason that, I, that I've been active in um, immigrants' rights in particular is really, I think, a credit to my, my aunt, um, Judy, and she was a, a, she was a pretty, pretty strict Catholic um, mm-hmm. who had a very, a very firm sense of, of social justice, as a lot of Mexican-American Catholics mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and she always taught me to, to focus, to focus on places where our communities need need the most need the most support and mm-hmm. need the most help mm-hmm. and to uh, make sure that whatever talents and resources I have that I'm doing it in service of others and so um, I would say that my own my own sense of, of what's morally right and and what's just really came from from her and mm-hmm. from her her dedication to making sure that I focus on um, that I focus on on paying it forward in whatever way that I can mm-hmm. and on that note Adela my final question to you um, as we get closer and closer hours away from election day what would be your number one message for people who are either undecided or thinking about sitting it out and not going to vote um i think i think the message that i would like to leave your listeners with is that democracy is not a spectator sport Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends a lot of my fellow community members are disillusioned and rightly so but sitting out is actually giving up your voice. And so for those who have the privilege of voting, because let's not forget that there are millions, if not tens of millions of others who have been stripped of that right. Mm -hmm. If you have the privilege of voting, then you have the responsibility to do so. And if you feel like doing so, you know, that nobody's giving you all that much excitement these days, think about those who do not have that privilege. Mm -hmm. And get yourself to the polls. I love voting. I love being able to go in person to vote. I couldn't do that this year because I'm immunocompromised. Yes. Um, but there are so many ways to vote safely, even in person. I would really encourage absolutely every single one of your listeners to do so. Mm-hmm. And did you vote by, by mail or um, did somebody? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, I mean, in this, it, check on your state. Uh, it's too late to vote by mail, as you know. Um, 
there are, I think, some states do have some emergency voting uh, options uh, for Monday, um, but for or, or they have there are if folks have their mail in ballots, there are, every single district has every single precinct has a a voter drop off location. Um, the only place where I know stats really well is is in Arizona because that's where mm-hmm. I grew up and. I think it's really important for folks to know for emergency voting locations, you can usually go to one that's most convenient to you. But if you are voting on election day, make sure you go to your polling place Mm -hmm. and, you know, stand in line, do what it takes because your, your, your voice is more critical now than ever before. Um, You've heard that you've heard Adela, you know, if she was able to do it um, despite her personal circumstances You have no excuse. No sean flojos. Go out and vote. Thank you, Adela. Thank you so much, Maria. Well, friends, that's it for today's episode of Voices for Change. Thank you for tuning in. We hope to continue bringing you inspirational stories like the one you just heard. We thank you for your ideas, suggestions, and comments. So just look us up on social media or send us an email at VocesForChange at gmail.com. Remember Gandhi's great advice, be the change you wish to see in the world. Until next time, 